Hello and welcome to Burn It All Down, the feminist sports podcast you need. I am Lindsay Gibbs here for your interview episode for this week. We have a lot of WNBA to talk about. Joining me is the great Sabrina Merchant from SB Nation. Sabrina, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I am just checking in on the Las Vegas Aces Twitter account right now. And my goodness, are they petty? <laughs> oh, no, what are they doing? <laughs> okay, so what we're going to be talking today about the WNBA finals. We are recording this Sunday night moments after the Aces beat the Connecticut Sun. I think it was 78 to 71 in game four to clinch their franchise's very first WNBA Finals game. We're going to go into a little bit of the series. We're going to talk WNBA offseason storylines to follow. There are a lot of free agents, you guys. <laughs> there are just so many free agents. And then because Sabrina covers the Sparks closely, I'm going to force her to talk to me about the Sparks. But first, tell me what's going on on that Twitter account. <laughs> So I think most people saw the tweet um, because, as you just said, we're recording pretty shortly after, you know, the press conferences ended in uh, Connecticut. The Vegas Aces put up one tweet where Connecticut had put up a banner saying that they had made the 2022 WNBA Finals. And so the Aces just put up a picture of like, oh, Connecticut has their banners up real quick because that's the last thing they'll be able to hoist for the 2022 <laughs> oh, season. I see it. They're fast. Honestly, the I did not think too much of that one. I think it's it's perfectly fine. Like it goes in line with the the Kurt Miller Eastern Conference Championship comments, whatever. Um, the one that's getting to me is Connecticut apparently responded to them about not making the postseason back in 2019. The Aces have retweeted that <laughs> little exchange from three years ago. Oh, you know, my that's gosh. That's digging. <laughs> some social media managers are just doing some great work. Um, yeah, so I'm reading this right now. I'm so glad you have this up. The Sun tweeted to the Aces in 2019. Looking forward to our showdowns in the regular season and maybe even the postseason. Those are the games that happen after the regular season, in case you forgot. It's been a while. Uh, and uh, the Aces retweeted, quote, retweeted that and said, um, you know, hi, we kept the receipt. So I love Petty. But um, look, we, we could talk pettiness and tweets, but we got to talk this game a little bit. This was a really good series for a four-game series. Like... The thing I hate about five-game series is I feel like they're only really good if they go to five games. Like, they're only really that dramatic. But I don't know. A dramatic game four is pretty cool. And um, I just thought uh, the way that the Sun bounced back in game three and then took this to game four and fought till the bitter end was pretty impressive. What did you think of this game? Did you Were you ever in doubt that the Aces were going to win it all? No, I was never in doubt that the Aces were going to win it all. Um, I honestly thought it was going to take three. I, I did not have a lot of faith in this matchup yeah. for the Connecticut Sun. Nothing against Connecticut. Like, I don't want to add to the disrespect narrative. I just think that the way uh, Vegas conducts his offense makes it very challenging for a team like Connecticut that is low on perimeter defenders to get things done. I mean, kudos to them for coming back in game three. We could have been talking about Connecticut winning the series in game four. Like, that's how close games one and game four were to be in that position, like you said, in a four-game series. And for Las Vegas to have given us two of these four-game series in the same postseason that were both epic, like both of them, you forget that there wasn't actually a do-or-die game at the end because they were so dramatic. Like in those, I mean, the Vegas-Seattle series was dramatic like from the get-go, but at least Connecticut brought it for three out of the four games. 
what a what a capper to the season. Like I think Vegas has just consistently been the best team in the league throughout the entirety of the year. Like they had that brief slip up when they blew that 28 point lead to Chicago and sort of went in that midseason malaise. But like that's the thing that happens. It's a 36 game season. Like you're allowed to take a couple weeks from not being the best defense possible. But just other than that, like they've hit every touch point that you would expect, right? Like they had the best record in the regular season. They won the commissioner's cup. They had the MVP, the defensive player of the year, the coach of the year, the most improved player. Like, and they're sitting here as a 2022 WNBA champs. It's, it feels very destined. It feels very perfect. I I never really had a doubt that they were going to get this done, but even so with Connecticut up by a point with two minutes left in the game, like to think how close it came to going back to Las Vegas. It came so close. So there's this, there's a sequence. I wrote it down because I just was like, this was so key. So the Sun are down 67 to 61 with three minutes and 45 seconds left. Kelsey Plum, flagrant one on Bonner as she's shooting a three. I mean, it felt at that moment like the, you know, the aces had all the momentum. And then Bonner hits all three of her free throws. The Sun get to keep the ball. JJ makes a two-pointer. Then JJ gets a steal. And Raquana Williams fouls Courtney Williams. And Courtney goes one of two from the line. And it is tied at 67. There's then a shot clock turnover by the Aces. So the Sun defense is doing what it's done all season. And Courtney Williams makes a two. The Sun go up 69 to 67. Just a little over two minutes left. And... It really felt, wait, is this happening? (laughs) Is this happening? And then, (laughs) was it Asia Wilson? Was it Jackie Young? Was it Kelsey Plum? Was it Chelsea Gray? No, No. it was Raquana (laughs) Williams, the seventh player in the rotation all season behind Hamby. You know, um, with Hamby's injury, I think she went up to six this. But the seventh player on their list who's made eight points in the final two minutes. (laughs) Incredible stuff. That's how they won. I mean, it's it was absolutely wild. So it did feel like fate, like destiny, but it was not a easy route to get there. And it, it certainly could have gone off the rails. Yeah, it's so crazy to think about this Aces team that has been just incredibly starter dominant all year. And everyone was saying, like, Specky player starters too much. Like, what do they actually have beyond their first five? Blah, 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 blah. And here we are, uh, the team that produced, I guess, the last three, six women of the year who has Raquana Williams, who's notably told her coaches, please don't start me. I prefer to come off the bench. Just the microwave. That's what she is. And to outscore Connecticut over those final two minutes, I mean, she does the little airplane celebration after the shot to put him up 75 to 71. Just the margins were so close too. like JJ has that putback attempt, right? When it's 73, 71. And if that goes in, you know, it's a tie game. And instead, Raquana hits a shot on the other end. Just a fantastic last two minutes, even if Connecticut couldn't score. That entire like final stretch where Vegas went to its super small lineup with, you know, Asia, Jackie, Chelsea, Kelsey, and Raquana, and then you've got Connecticut countering with the jumboist of jumbo lineups. Loved it. <laughs> Courtney, Dewana, the two Jones, and AT. Like we just don't get that kind of stylistic variation in other basketball leagues that I watch. But the WNBA just has a little bit of everything. It's so great. Well, because it does have players that are different sizes, right? I feel like in the NBA, like it's to the point now where like, you know, if you're 6'3", you're a short guy, you know? How many 6'7 players can we get? (laughs) But yeah, and I think, I mean, these are two, and the, the players on these teams, like Kelsey Plum, Jackie Young, Alyssa Thomas, who we, I mean, I don't care. I know they lost and, you know, nobody loves getting 
accolades and they lost. But she back-to-back triple doubles in the finals. The first back-to-back triple doubles in WNBA playoff history. I think maybe the first back-to-back triple doubles in WNBA history. Mm -hmm. I'm not. I think it is too. Yeah, yeah, because there haven't been that many. And then to do that in the finals, just absolutely remarkable stuff. So I think it was the toughness and the grit of these two teams. And yeah, these coaches, this is what you love about series. This is why I wish we could get a seven-game series in the finals. This is why I'm so glad that we have at least three game series to start out with. It comes down to toughness. It comes down to different players stepping up. You A, have to have your be- your superstars show up every single game and be the best every single game. But you have to have games where Raquana Williams shows up, like you or Dijon A. Carrington for um, Connecticut. Like, you know, it, that's just like what it takes. And then you have the coaching battles and they're just so fun to watch. But I mean, I want to talk big picture. Becky Hammond What do you think it means for her to get this title, her first season in the league after getting passed over by NBA team after NBA team interview process? We've talked on the show about the ugly rumors that got spread about her in the interview process and, you know, that she just wasn't interviewing well and she definitely wasn't ready and all this stuff. What are your thoughts on her? There's so many things that I could say about Becky Hammond. I mean, just like I don't I don't even know where to begin, but I'm going to start. So the Aces came to LA around June of this year, Mm -hmm. and I've gotten to know Natalie Nakase pretty well from covering the Clippers in the NBA over the last four years. And she was an assistant in LA for a little while and then joined Becky Hammond on her staff uh, as an assistant this year, uh, lead assistant, which is, you know, big step up for her. She'd been interviewing for some head coaching jobs in the W as well, too. But she basically said that, like, (laughs) it's unreal how prepared Becky is for this job. It is insane to me how good she is compared to everyone I've worked with on the men's side. Like, it seems like they're pushing her out of the NBA. Like, they don't want her there because of how good she is. Because there's no reason why someone with her talent level, just with her ability to connect with players, should be denied coaching positions at the highest level possible. And I'm not saying that the WNBA isn't the highest level possible. But if we treat, you know, the WNBA as, like, equivalents, all of those teams should be wanting to hire someone like Becky Hammond. They should be wanting to hire... Becky Hammond herself. And the reasons that you heard for why she wasn't getting hired are just so stupid that like, oh, we were concerned that she only had experience as an assistant with one team, like every other assistant coach that Greg Popovich has led into head coaching jobs. We were concerned that she didn't have any head coaching experience. Like that's the point of a first time head coach. Like we've gone through this several times and, you know, credit to the aces for realizing that, you know, they had a good coach, Bill Ambeer. He's done pretty incredible things on the WNBA side. I know we've had, uh, not you and I specifically, but just like the general WMA committee has like complained about some of the things that he's done with the Aces over the last couple of years, but there's no denying that they were a team that was regularly in the conversation for the best team in the league. And to decide that like, hey, we know we're really good, but we could be excellent by adding this one piece in Becky Hammond. Um, And to make that kind of gutsy call to slow play it with Becky Hammond, you know, retiring her jersey during the regular season, bringing her by Las Vegas. So she is forced to talk with Mark and Nikki. She openly admits that she was not even considering coaching the WNBA at that point, but just to be back in the organization that she had played for, uh, to feel that love and support. And they wanted her. They went and got her. And she was everything they could have ever hoped for. And most importantly, they paid her. They They paid paid her. her. (laughs) 
like over a million dollars. I'm guessing she hit all of the bonuses that were in her contract. I am I mean, I'm assuming so. Like, I, you know, she modernized the offense. And I think, you know, Bill Lambeer, to his credit, I have not been the biggest Bill Lambeer fan in my time, but he admitted that he was burned out. Like he was just like he said, I've really lost my passion for it. And you could see that. And I think you could see how it impacted the team in the playoffs last year. Like their game five loss to the Mercury. They had no business not being in the WNBA finals last year. Absolutely no business. But they weren't. They weren't there. And so I think there's a couple of important things here. Number one, Bill Ambeer being willing to step aside, being willing to bring that in. Not that we're giving the men all the credit, but that's a part of this thing, right? It's part of it. Absolutely. And I'm glad that Becky shouted out Bill for, you know, building like the Las Vegas culture. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. He deserves that. And, you know, his passion's undeniable, but, you know, it was time for there to be a change. And I think the way Becky was set up for success in a way that in the NBA, it is very rare to get a job in any sport, right? To get a head coaching job with a team that is this close mm-hmm. to a championship, right? It's yep. very rare. And so I love that for her. And I think this is just going to be a really good thing and honestly the perfect thing. Because no matter where she went in the NBA, she was going to be set up to fail. And it was probably going to be horrible. I'm sorry. Like, that's just like, (laughs) I mean, that's the reality of most first-time head coaches in the NBA, Mm -hmm. right? Because you you usually are hired because the team's bad, right? (laughs) And in chaos. You rarely get the the Steve Kerr situation in Golden State. And now I'm going to call it the Becky Hammond situation in Las Vegas. Like, just everything is perfectly set up. I just think it's so important that she... She got that and all credit to her for making the most of it. Um, I don't want to call it easy by any means, but I do think it's important to say that she was set up for success and she made the most of it. Yeah. I've been uh, talking to some coaches about a piece on first time head coaches. That's going to come out as like a, you know, a capper to this season. And Kurt Miller made a real point to say that, like, it's great that we're bringing all of these former players back into the league, into these positions as head coaches. But I just want to make sure that they're put in positions to do well, because it's really easy to get a situation where the team's not doing well, you know, not a lot of talent. It's unclear what the direction of the franchise is and take it out on the coach. Right. But for Becky Hammond to have this opportunity of investment in the franchise, investment in the roster, like everything that you think of in terms of a model sports franchise really applies to the Las Vegas Aces. And so to get that opportunity, I just, I hope that other coaches, not that they would necessarily get to benefit from like this kind of talent level that Becky was set up with. Four number one picks or whatever they have. is (laughs) just organizational commitment at the very least. (laughs) And I think though, we have to say, I think we are seeing more of that. We're seeing less of the... Vicky Johnson, Dallas wing situation, which she's making the most, you know, I think, I think doing some good things there um, or the Marianne Stanley in Indiana uh, situation is kind of the prime example. Mm-hmm. And more, we saw Noel Quinn get to take over championship team in Seattle and she's done really well there. They haven't won a championship since, but you know, I think um, she's been really impressive and also set up for success in that team and you saw Tanisha Wright get a great opportunity in Atlanta with a young new team with an organization that really supports her so really quick I don't want to dwell on this too much but I was legitimately it's sad that I was impressed but I was legitimately impressed and happy that Mark Davis was not at the Raiders game (laughs) on Sunday because like I just expected him to be like I just in like 
that's where most of his money's coming from. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I yeah. just expected him to be. And and I think he he has shown a lot of passion, a lot of commitment. Um, it was good to see. And I saw that they actually showed the end of the Aces game mm-hmm. in the Raiders stadium so that all the Vegas fans could be watching it. And that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I think he probably got a lot of flack for missing game one, honestly, last week in Vegas and following the Raiders to Los Angeles for their opener. Yeah. But I mean, I... I give Mark Davis a lot of credit. Like he's yeah. he's always supporting the Aces. Like the all the players seem to love him. And just again, we talked about this before the investment that they put into that team, like to pay the coaches what they're just what they deserve to get a dedicated practice facility for the Aces. Like all of the the time off money they put towards the players during the off season. Like that's that's the standard of how things should be done. And he was there before he owned the team. I mean, that semifinal series, he was there in 2019. Yeah. He wasn't the owner yet. He was courtside no. every game. I really like this team. <laughs> yeah, he's like that. I'm sorry. That's endearing to me. Um, yeah. Chelsea Gray, 18.3 points per game, six assists in the finals. I think one of the like kind of narratives I loved this season was getting that Seattle Storm versus Aces semifinal series that being Sue's goodbye and that really being Chelsea Gray's like uh moment, right? Yeah. I mean, I think very clearly right now, the best point guard in the league is Chelsea Gray. I think it was a competition at the beginning of the year. I don't think it's a competition anymore. That was cool to get to see her rise to the moment. Yeah. Awesome passing of the torch moment in that series. Uh, I would have liked to see Chelsea Gray against another player who I consider to be like her main competition for that in the playoffs, Skylar Diggins-Smith. But alas, that was not to be the case in the Vegas Phoenix series. Always just wishing the best for Skylar. We'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get uh, into Skylar in a moment. We'll get more into Chelsea Gray when I when we talk about the Sparks. Um, but this is undeniably been the year of Asia Wilson MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and now she gets her championship. And um, I think if the WNBA, I hope, I think they might. But I hope they do realize what gold they have in her and promote her as such and treat her as such. And that we see her becoming undisputably the face of USA basketball and the WNBA. Like there's zero reason why she should not be. And that's no, I mean, I think her and Brianna Stewart are one, two, and I think they might go back and forth as one, two. And how lucky are we to get to see that? Like. That's amazing. But this is Asia Wilson's time. And Becky Hammond said in the post, she said, I think like she's just she's just 26 now. She's just entering yeah. her prime years. <laughs> Crazy. She's already got two MVPs. I think it's really important for the WNBA to market the hell out of Asia because we're in this prioritization battle right now, right? And a lot of big stars are talking about, you know, the money that they get from overseas and how they feel treated playing overseas. And which way they're going to lean if it comes, push comes to shove. Like, do I come back early enough to play for the WNBA or do I finish out my overseas season? And Lord knows I love Brianna Stewart, but she has come out on team overseas a little bit uh, where she deliberately said that she did not sign a multi-year contract because she wanted to give herself some flexibility in 23 to play overseas and then come back. And she has said that she's not sure when she's going to return the WNBA because of those deals. And Asia Wilson very much team WNBA, right? She played overseas minimally in 2018 for China. She hasn't played there since. Any marketing money the league has to offer players during the offseason, I feel like 90% of it needs to be going to Asia Wilson because she does the best possible job speaking up for her team. 
for NCAA basketball, for WNBA basketball. Like, she's everywhere in the U.S. She plays for Team USA. She was, you know, one of the two best players on Team USA last year, along with Brianna Stewart, however you want to slice it and dice it. Um, she might be going to the World Cup again for Team USA. I would expect her to be going to the World Cup, although game one is in three days, so maybe yeah. she needs and a little also, bit of rest. If she wants a nap, like, that's yeah. <laughs> Just nap on the flight to Australia, I guess. Australia is really <laughs> far away. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's there's a little battle here, right? Like, are we going to set up a USA versus overseas situation for stars to have to choose from? And Asia's very clearly made her choice. And so that's the kind of person you need to really hone in on just from a business perspective, too. Like, this is a player. That is the best point. I, one of the best points I've heard. And, I mean, we have to say it, it's really important that she's a black woman in a league that mm-hmm. is predominantly black. And mm-hmm. it's so important for the whole market to capitalize on how this is Asia Wilson's moment. And also, like, her personality. She's so outgoing and so interesting. I know that sometimes these MVPs or these, you know, greats are not the best, like, spokespeople, are not that comfortable showing their personality. Like, there is a struggle sometimes. Asia Wilson, if anything, has too much personality. I know. We just had her in game two saying, like, yeah, I told Kelsey to get her shit together. (laughs) That's what I have to do. I'm the leader of this team it's just incredible she has sound bites like that every single time you put a mic in front of her every single time all right really quickly where does connecticut go from here oh connecticut is just facing such a weird off season right i think uh courtney williams is a free agent brie jones is a free agent tisha heideman is a free agent uh, i don't imagine that heideman's gonna go anywhere just because of the jazz thomas situation but that that is they're engaged um yes yes <laughs> if people don't know <laughs> they are engaged they're planning a wedding to one another like i imagine they would want to stay teammates with one another which yeah it's, it's great like if you can get a discount because people are you know in love and want to stay with each other like that's absolutely something you should be taking advantage of as a front office but i don't know like what they're going to do about brie jones because she is so important to what they're trying to do right like she's closing games for them in the WNBA finals Six woman of the year, two-time all-star. You cannot pay her her worth with who you have currently under contract. So they have, I think, Jasmine is still under contract, I believe. And then Mm -hmm. JJ, Alyssa Thomas, and Dewana Bonner are all under contract as well. A really great core of four. (laughs) You don't get a much better, like, core of four than that. And then you have Bree Jones and... I do think, though, that one one problem we've seen since the emergence of Bree Jones, and it's a really good problem to have, but Kurt Miller has never been fully comfortable with what to do with the lineups with Bree Jones, Alyssa Thomas, and JJ all at the same time. I mean, he doesn't go these big lineups, right? Like, a great player, I think he kept JJ on the bench too often in this final series. Like, there's a weird thing going on between them. I don't know if he doesn't trust her fitness. I don't know what it is. Sometimes it's the foul trouble, too, Foul I think. trouble. Like, there's a little push and shove there. I don't know what their relationship is, and it seems a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> but I just can't imagine an MVP likes only playing 25 minutes in final games. That doesn't seem sustainable. I work with a great beat writer in the L.A. area, John W. Davis, who just – had the gall to ask Kurt Miller at the end of the season, like, who do you think your best player is? <laughs> and um, Kurt said something to the effect of, like, you know, AT's toughness and her versatility, like, make her so good to have on any team. And, like, JJ can just do anything you want on a basketball court. And, like, and with that being said, like, sometimes it's really fun to dump the ball into Bree Jones. And all due respect, 
She should not be in the conversation for the best player on your team with AT and John Quill Jones. No. I love Bree Jones's game. I have a video show on YouTube that is almost entirely an ode to Bree Jones's game for episodes <laughs> at a time. We will need to link that in the show notes. So send me that. She is yes. she is not on the level of Alyssa Thomas and John Quill Jones. And I watch Vegas and Asia Wilson's playing 40 minutes, right? And Chelsea Gray's upwards of 38 and like they put their best players on the court at all times. And yeah, sometimes it sucks for Dierica Hamby and Kia Stokes and Raquana Williams. But if you're not the best player on the team, that's just the way it goes, right? And the level of fondness that Kurt Miller has for Bree Jones makes some very weird lineup decisions on this particular team. Yeah. And I almost wonder if like just taking one of those cards out of the deck would like help Kurt Miller just say, okay, well, John Quell, you got to play 36 minutes now. Like that's all we can do. And I mean, if you think about it, like – there were years where, like, this was, like, J.J. was out the bubble year, right? Like, mm-hmm. she didn't play that year. Last year, A.T. was out all year. And they got the number one overall seed, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then in the playoffs, A.T. came back. And Kurt Miller didn't know what to do with the lineups last year in the playoffs. I'm sorry people didn't talk about this enough. But, like, A.T. coming back totally threw them off for that playoff run. Yeah. As good as they were. Like, as good and as good as she is. So... But also, I think Kurt Miller is a at his root, like values, toughness and kind of traditional basketball, like above all else, which is why a why he loves these Maryland players like even Brenda yeah. Freeze, like this is why they're together. Like there's a reason why Shakir Austin left Maryland to become like a more well-rounded <laughs> player, right? Because she was like, I want to be more Elena Deladon than Alyssa Thomas or Bree Jones and wasn't going to get that at Maryland, you know? Yeah. And so I think with JJ's flexibility, like Kurt Miller gets confused. If they don't do any crazy trades and you still have John Paul Jones, Alyssa Thomas, Dewana Bonner, and Jasmine Thomas back, you're going to be one of the best teams in the league anyways. Like, you're going to be okay. Maybe you just play Nia Cloudin at the two, you know, next to Jazz instead of Courtney Williams. She she has to give. DJ is still there. Like, there's, there's a lot going on. I just hope that we can, like, eliminate this whole Connecticut underachieves in the playoffs narrative that I don't know where that came from. Like, I get that they lost to Chicago as the home team last year. It's one series. Candace Parker was a freaking nightmare in that series. <laughs> like like you just mentioned, Alyssa Thomas came back and completely threw off what they were trying to do rotation-wise. They were an underdog to get to the finals this year, an underdog to get to the finals in 2019. They took Vegas to five in the bubble as the seven seed that year. This is a team that does really well on the biggest stages. No, this is a team, and when you look at a team like Vegas with three number one overall draft picks, and then you look at a team like the sun and how these teams have been built, right? They have not gotten any draft help really. You know what I mean? Like as far as like extra good positioning in the draft. They had the good sense to draft Chelsea Gray number 11 in 2014. <laughs> that was smart. They got in and to pick JJ. I mean, five teams yep. I think passed on JJ. Mm-hmm. So they've made really smart decisions, you know, in the GM roles in the draft in player development and building their system, they shouldn't actually be this good. And they are. And that's what's impressive. But at the end of the day, I don't know if you win a WNBA championship without an Asia Wilson, without a Candace Parker, without an Elena Deladon. And John Quell Jones was not that caliber player in the series. And it's because I think of these rotational issues. Yeah, I'm not even sure if it was just the rotational issues. Like, there are times when, like, you watch her go to the ball and you watch Asia Wilson go to the ball and there's a difference. I don't know that that's like because Bree Jones is getting more of JJ's minutes or just because that's who JJ is. And it's not 
a disservice to say that John Quill Jones didn't have the force that Asia Wilson did. Asia Wilson is a freaking generational talent. Like we just listed all of her accolades this season earlier. She's 26 years old. She's probably the best player on the planet. To not be on her level is not saying that you're not a great player. It's just, I mean, when was the last time a WNBA team won a title without a number one pick? I can't think of any. No. And I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to be in our mentions like immediately, yeah. and that's going to be the most annoying thing in the world. <laughs> well, I think the Mystics, Elena Deladon's not technically number one okay, pick. Okay, got so. it. Yeah. That's a great point. <laughs> Just figured it out. Okay. You all can shut up now. I did it. <laughs> I'm glad we got that out of the way immediately. Yeah, I am too. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You've mentioned prioritization. I want to get into that. Can you explain to people what prioritization is? First of all, a tremendously difficult word to say. <laughs> it's, it's so catchy. I have a hard it's time so with catchy. it. <laughs> so WNBA spent all of the 2020 offseason touting how many great things they had done for players in the new collective bargaining agreement. All of the sacrifices that their owners had taken on to increase compensation, to increase all of these benefits that players were going to get. And they conveniently neglected to mention one detail that also existed in the collective bargaining agreement, which was that starting in 2023, players would be fined for not reporting to camp on time. And this has always been the fact of the matter in the WNBA because players play overseas when they're not in the WNBA season. And sometimes those seasons run a little late because of EuroLeague. And so they come back like a couple games into the year. I mean, I was in LA this year when Kayla McBride came back like straight from uh, Turkey and immediately showed up <laughs> to play in Los Angeles, like after having played in Turkey or yeah, two nights before that. So it's just a fact of the matter. But WNBA owners were like, hey, if we are going to be playing, paying our players more money, we should get something back as well. And so the thing that they got back was a guarantee that players would be reporting to camp on time or else they'd be fine. So in 2023, it's you have to be there by the first day of the season, not camp. Right. And then in 2024, it's camp. Yeah. And it doesn't apply to players with only two years of experience or less because they want to make sure that players who are still on the rookie scale of their contract have the opportunity to get more money overseas. Right. This is mostly for vets. Yeah. Or that you can maybe attract overseas players to like encourage them to try like a Marine Johannes like one, you know, like exactly. maybe one yeah. year. But um, players, like you said, like Brianna Stewart's already said, she doesn't know what this is going to do for her. She makes, while well, she's made a lot of money in Russia, obviously Russia is not 
on the board right now. Yeah. But she's playing for a supremely great team in Turkey. Yes. Uh, Fenerbahce this year, which is going to be paying her like high six figures, I would imagine. That's a lot more than the 230 that she's making in Seattle. She, her wife is from Spain. Like, I think she likes spending time over in Europe as well. Like, that's become a part of her lifestyle, I would imagine. Yeah. They have a child. A second home for yeah. them. Yeah. Like, I think that it's it's just kind of built into the equation. Uh, John Quill Jones has said the same thing. You know, for John Quill Jones, she doesn't get the endorsements, you know, because she wasn't this well-known college athlete. And she's, you know, not on Team USA. She's from the Bahamas and all, the, you know, all these reasons mm-hmm. um, and the way that the media and um, marketing treats just, you know, our black women superstars. But she says, like, she told uh, the great Katie Barnes, like in a piece, like I make the only way for me to maximize my money. Like it's not endorsements, it's overseas. And I think it's uh, an incredible marketing flex by the WNBA, honestly, like the best marketing when they've ever done that. I thought I knew everything about the new collective bargaining agreement in 2020 when all of those details came out. And then I was listening to an episode of Tea with A and Fee and Enrique was on it talking about prioritization. And I was like, wait, what is that? How did they sneak that one through? I always say that I think it's a good problem how quickly the 2020 WNBA CBA went from looking revolutionary to being out of date. And it happened Mm -hmm. very quickly. I think that's ultimately going to be good news for their next agreement. But I also think like, it's really easy to shit on it now, right? And but yeah. knowing how hard these players like had to fight, you know, these owners, it just says a lot about how little the owners were actually willing to give and how creative they had to get to get anything from the owners. And on the owner's standpoint, their point is, you know, I mean, first of all, part of it's like I'm sick of playing players who aren't here with a team. Like it really hurts the team when they're not here, which I understand. And also, like, they're overseas. We can't market them. They can't be in part of the community, right? So we want to try and pay them more money. But ultimately, this contract didn't get them to the financial standpoint where they can justify those points. Now, we've got a TV deal on the horizon. Uh, In a couple years, I think in, like, three years, we'll be in a much better place. And then maybe maybe this was a contract too soon for prioritization. And I hope some people will realize that. Make some changes, but I think it's going to be messy. Yeah, it's going to be messy. I mean, we just had this epic Las Vegas-Seattle semifinal series, and I don't want to, you know, downplay the finals we just had, but, like, I think if we were to pick a a best series of the playoffs, it was Vegas-Seattle, and you'd think that WNBA would love to just capitalize on this momentum of, hey, Asia versus Stewie for years and years to come, and that really hits a snag if Stewie is just away in Turkey all offseason with, you know, no one talking to her and then uh, doesn't show up in 2023 to play. Yeah, it's it's not (laughs) ideal. I just, so that's something we're going to be keeping an eye on. Are we going to see any adjustments to it? I do think this season might not be as big of a deal because I think the WNBA season, there's no world championships next year. WNBA will start a little bit later. I think there's a chance that we can get the European seasons done by, not by training camp, but by day one. By the start of the regular regular season. season, So I expect to see a lot of one-year contracts being signed by stars. I think it's going to really be a problem. The training camp thing is going to be the biggest. You can just expect like every WNBA executive is just going to be rooting for all of those EuroLeague series to be over as quick as possible. Just sweeps, sweeps, Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. So I just want to go over quickly like who – what – 
free agents are we on the lookout for? Obviously, we mentioned Brianna Stewart already, um, who's, of course, been with the Seattle Storm her whole career. Last offseason, she very famously was courted by Brooklyn. The New York Liberty, yes. The New York Liberty, yes, in Brooklyn um, by the size. And, you know, she's an East Coast girl and got the Connecticut connection. And I think there's a lot that appeals to her. Even with Sue gone, you're always going to be in Sue's shadow in Seattle. And I think what they're trying to build with the New York Liberty is really exciting right now. She might want to join that. Although I, I wouldn't be surprised if she stayed with the Storm either. And she she actually mentioned this season that, like, seeing how beloved Sue was and it was her staying there, right? It was a relationship mm-hmm. that she built with the fans. And I think that also... Uh, is going to factor in too, right? Because she saw special artists. Yeah. And Seattle is run really well. Yeah, great organization too. They don't have the money of the size, but it's a class organization all the way. Um, I think Candace Parker, we don't know. Are you going to retire? Are you going to be back in Chicago? We have no idea. We have no idea what's going on with Diana Taurasi either. Tina Charles is forever a question mark. <laughs> I think Emma Meesman's also a free agent. Emma's a free agent, yes. With Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, so is Courtney Vandersloot. So is Allie Quigley. Azaree Stevens. Right, yes, okay. So Chicago, tons of question marks. The two good teams with the biggest question marks are the Storm and the Sky. Also the Mercury, though, because this season we – I mean, hope to God by the end of the year, Brittany Griner is home. Um, Joe Biden has just met with Sherelle Griner. There ha- are ongoing negotiations. But as we've said on this podcast multiple times, Russia is not a rational actor. This is not someone you can just like yell at until like they, uh, you know, do exactly what you say. And we have no idea. It's very unpredictable. But hope to God Brittany is back and, you know, where she belongs and healthy and cared for um, by this time next year, but we don't know. Um, Skylar Diggins-Smith, it seems like there's no way she comes back to the Mercury, but she is under contract. We have no idea. (laughs) Um, So there's just a lot of moving pieces, a lot of huge, huge names that are going to be on the free agent list, and I want to finish this by saying another one of those names is Neko Gumake. (laughs) Is a free agent. And I think we've talked and focused on the good teams, the you know, the kind of elite teams, because it's the playoffs. Sure. That's what's in, on our mind. Like, I'll admit the non-playoff teams are far from my mind, but you cover the Sparks. First of all, how does it feel to see um, you saw Candace Parker? I'm going to stop you right there, Lindsay. I'm going to stop you right there. You know my answer to that question. No, I don't. I don't. I have, I have been petty tweeting all playoffs. All 2021, all of 2022. Uh, It's not great. It's not great. So the Sparks lose Derek Fisher and Candace Parker. Derek Fisher benches Candace Parker famously a few years ago in the playoffs. Uh, If you wonder how that went over, not great. And she goes to Chicago, wins a championship. They then lose Chelsea Gray, who goes now finals MVP. Same offseason they lost Candace and Chelsea, actually. Yeah. (laughs) That was a tough one. That was tough they one. did get rid of Derek Fisher finally earlier this season, although it just kind of left more turmoil. They still have not named a GM. Um, I think the, I read that the only two players they have returning on contract are like 
Kennedy Carter and Katie Lou Samuelson. The they, they've got some more rookies like uh, Jasmine Walker is still there. Ray Burrell, um, Olivia Nelson, Adota. You know, I'm reading that only two key players under contract. Ah, was I, the- see, I disagree with that. I thought Olivia was pretty good. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I think uh, yell yell it at ESPN because I think yeah, I got this. Hey, it's the there. Connecticut Industrial Complex. Come on, show some love for Olivia <laughs> Nelson, Adota. And I think Kenny Carter. I've got question marks about, but like, what is next for the the on the coach? They don't have a GM. I'm not even sure they have anybody in the front office. Their assistant GM resigned before the start of the season. Right. So it was just Derek Fisher as the GM. Mm-hmm. And when your GM is out and there's no assistant GM to replace him, like, I mean, I assume that WMA front offices have more than two people involved, but like, other than Kerry Corver, who just sort of comes around and, as I can tell, like, gives coffee to the players before the start of the game, like, I, I don't know who's really working there. It's a bare bones operation in Los Angeles right now. And... I don't know where they go from here. I, I'm just terribly worried that they're going to make another splashy former L.A. professional player hire with their head coach. Um, Lisa Leslie is the name that keeps coming to mind. But, I mean, I feel like this is even beneath her. This is what is happening with the Sparks right now. Um, I think about the 2021 offseason all the time because, you know, as you just mentioned, it's when they lost Candace, It's when they lost Chelsea. It's when they also lost Raquana Williams, which wasn't a big deal at the time because there was an understanding that the Sparks were going through this rebuild and you can't really – pay for Quanta Williams, like her worth to pay for a play for a sub 500 team. But, you know, sure was fun watching her score those eight points in the final two minutes today. But like, I think about if they had just cored Chelsea Gray instead of Neko Gumake, Chelsea Gray was a restricted agent the year before. She took a meeting with Las Vegas. It was very clear that she wanted to go to Las Vegas. Like you got to just hold on to that player. If you know that her intentions are to go elsewhere. And like, I have mixed feelings about the idea of being able to control players like that in free agency but when the tool is available to you you probably should go for it because it just never seemed like NECA was going to leave Um, and even now through everything that has happened this year with the firing of their head coach and GM and the Liz Cambage situation like the fact that they brought her in after all of the terrible things that she said at a team Nigeria practice which NECA's sister played for she has still said like this is my home this is Los Angeles I want to be part of building the next thing I assume Chanae follows NECA wherever she goes so I just think they made the wrong decision picking Neck over Chelsea. Clearly, two years later, they still haven't figured out how to replace the talent that they lost that year. I mean, is Christy Tolliver going to retire? She's also at the end of her contract. I don't know if we've seen the last of her in the WNBA. Um, I've just been barely, like pounding the horn of have Christy Tolliver coach the Sparks because somebody's got to do it. Uh, and clearly she has excellent coaching experience, you know, at the NBA level. If it seems like I'm just sort of talking into – nothing. It's because I don't think the Sparks have a plan. I don't know what the hope is going forward. They don't even have their pick this year because they traded it for Kennedy Carter. Oh, right. The Mystics have it. (laughs) The Mystics have it. Yeah. The Mystics get a lottery pick, which is just really cool. (laughs) And somebody loves the Mystics. Uh, That's a great trade. That was a really smart move by Coach Tebow. Yeah. And and Kennedy Carter didn't play most of the year. It's not really sure what's going on with Kennedy Carter. Nobody ever seems to know. Um, Of course, a lot of talent there. But who is the ownership group? Like, what do we know about the ownership group? So this is where I get really mad about the Sparks because they are owned by the same ownership group as the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the Los Angeles Dodgers, for those of you who follow baseball at all, are a fantastically well-run organization. Um, they just throw so much money into their team. They use all of the best resources they have, like for analytics and just everything that you could possibly do to make a team well-run. Like, all the things we talk about with the Aces – That is what the Los Angeles Dodgers do. So money, not an issue for this ownership group of the Los Angeles Sparks. 
a rounding error for what they're paying Freddie Freeman could fund the entire Sparks operation for the next five years. So for them to like act like a cheapo franchise by not really hiring a full front office, by practicing at just this hellacious gym in Torrance, like not even close to where they play their games at Crypto.com Arena, they just behave like an organization that has no money, even though clearly the resources should be available to them. And it confuses me to no avail. Isn't like um, Magic Johnson part of that group? Yeah, yeah. he is. He was part of the group that bought the Dodgers. He was just sort of like a you know public face that holds a very, very small percentage of the Dodgers. But they made him a bigger prominent entity of the Los Angeles Sparks group because obviously him and basketball go hand in hand. And when the Sparks won the title in 2016, the trophy was presented to him on behalf of the ownership. One of the ESPN moments I bring up all the time is it was after a game against the Lynx in the finals and it was in Minnesota, but they were showing Magic Johnson on the courtside seats, you know, watching the Sparks. And when they, I think it was Scott Van Pelt, who I usually like, but Scott Van Pelt, he was like, how cool that Magic Johnson is a fan of this team. (laughs) I was like, he's the owner of the team. Yeah, I have not seen him in the last three years of covering the team. So I don't know what happened there. I mean, I know he obviously stepped back on some of his Lakers duties, but theoretically he's still as involved as ever. He's not like the managing partner of the Sparks. That is a man named Eric Holloman who actually had to issue all of the press releases at the end of the year because there was no general manager to issue them on behalf of. But I'm unclear as to who operates anything day-to-day for the Sparks. Unclear what the direction is. Like they just have to nail this GM hire first. And unfortunately, like, because the WNBA is such, like, a small league, it's it's hard for me to tell, like, who the talent is that they should be trying to poach. Like, I just keep thinking how much money could they throw at Dan Padover to just come to L.A. and rebuild this like he did in Atlanta, but who knows? Even though they play at Crypto.com. They're not associated with the Lakers. Which, that's weird. Yeah, they have the same colors, you know, they consider themselves to be, like, the sister franchise to the Lakers, but the Lakers ownership sold them a very long time ago, and... Right, right in the middle of the CBA thing, which, uh, if yeah. you talk to the people in the union... That was a fun time. <laughs> hey, considering how the Lakers are run, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that they're not under the Lakers' ownership. But know. the problem is, because they look like the Lakers, I don't think Steve Ballmer would ever buy them. But I mean, again, the money is not an issue. Like, the the Guggenheim group that owns the Los Angeles Dodgers is raking it in and should be able to put the money necessary into the Los Angeles Sparks. I don't know why they haven't. And it makes it harder for me to enjoy the Dodgers, honestly, knowing that they have this part of their business that they're just completely not attending to. Well, uh, I now hate the Dodgers as well. So thank you for that. The battle going forward in the WNBA, it's not just the prioritization. It's not just these free agents. It is owners who care versus owners who don't give a shit. And we've seen that battle wage its uh, way through. We've got these new big spending owners coming in who like Mark Davis, who just are like, blow it all up. Like, why can't I do anything I want? <laughs> like, why yeah. do I have to follow any rules? Like, it's the one time where like the unearned white male confidence really works in our favor. <laughs> yeah. And, th- and then you have that clashing with people who have really been there building it up from the start, but, but who do care and do want to invest more, but want to do it in a more responsible, equitable way because they're not billionaires. And then you have these groups. And I think, you know, I really got mad. We And 
this will be our topic for the Thursday episode, which is all the Robert Sarver things that we're talking about, who, of course, is the Sun and Mercury owner. And, and of course, one of the things that made me so mad was he was like, I can't be a sexist. I own the Mercury. And so but one of the things is like I remember is like Ted Leonza saying is, of course, the owner of the Washington Wizards and the Washington Mystics and doesn't need to be anyone's favorite guy. But I remember him telling me I am the only NBA owner who comes to WNBA owner meetings. Sarver doesn't. Indiana doesn't. Minnesota. Minnesota. And then at the time, whatever New York uh, counterpart. This was the size were new So when he talked to me. So I'm not quite sure how that's changed. They certainly seem involved. Um, and there's one other that I'm forgetting about. But anyways, these are the battles. This is the next frontier. And it's going to be really inter- interesting to see where we go. And I think LA being one of the founding franchises being one of the marquee franchises, being one of the most successful franchises, it's devastating. And if this was an NBA team, if this was any other kind of team, there would be autopsy after autopsy of like what's went wrong. Like we had with the Clippers when they were owned by the previous owner, Steve Ballmer. Yeah. Definitely a thing. And so I've learned more talking to you about their ownership group than I have uh, in the past few years following them from afar. So I think hopefully this is a conversation that can continue. Sabrina, where can people find your work and follow your work? Yeah, I write for SB Nation where I cover the WNBA and all of women's basketball at swishappeal.com. And I host a YouTube show called The Step Through, which we alluded to earlier. (laughs) And will you be doing college? I think I'll be doing some more NBA stuff, but I'll pop in every so often for WNBA offseason things at the very least. Cool. I'm so glad we could finally get you on Burn It All Down. This was an absolute treat. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. This episode was produced by Tressa Versteg. Shelby Weldon is our web and social media wizard. Burn It All Down is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. You can follow Burn It All Down on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen, subscribe, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and TuneIn. Links and transcripts are on our website, burnitalldownpod.com, and you'll find a link to our merch at our bonfire store. Uh, If you want to become a sustaining donor, patreon.com slash burnitalldown is the place to go. Burn on and not out.